Hey, everybody. Uh, good morning. Yeah. Fun. Thanks. Hey, uh, several Christmases ago, I got a fitness club membership. And it's the first time I ever had one. And uh, I was really excited that I never had to run outdoor in the winter again. So for those three months or so, I could go get on my treadmill in the corner by the windows and just kind of, just kind of run. The, uh, uh, but, I, but I have to tell you, the fitness club world is like another country. And it's the most people I've ever been around that don't talk to each other, uh, for starters. But, um, and it was just kind of a no-nonsense place. Had some cardio stuff, some free, rate, free weights. It was the home of bodybuilders, which means I pretty much fit right in. And uh, what? Uh, but at any rate, if the gym, if the club was another country, Oh my gosh, the locker room was another planet. So I walked in there, all the guys were like checking out the progress from the day's work. And I come walking in there, suddenly I get transported back to seventh grade gym class. And I realize I have to change my clothes in this environment. So, um, I just kind of took a layered approach to that. I, probably too much information. But something happened along the way. I, I was, I had on a, a golf shirt and a t-shirt, and as I was trying to get them off, something happened. I cannot understand the physics of this to this day, but somewhere across my face, my shirts got tangled up and they got stuck, and I couldn't get them all the way back on, or I couldn't get them all the way off. And they were, it was covering my eyes and my mouth, and I was surrounded by these people. I knew I could, I mean, I couldn't see them, but I, I was getting a little bit claustrophobic, and I just, I had this, don't panic, just act normal. So I started unpacking my bag and, you know, just taking the rest of my, every now and then I'd stop and give a tug here and there, it wouldn't budge. So I'd just take some more stuff out of my bag. I could hear stuff hitting the floor, it wasn't even hitting the bench. Stop and take, the take, take a tug. But soon, the place went silent. And I realized I was the object of everyone's attention. And so I just kept trying to act normal. And then I had this sense that I was alone in the room. And I finally stretched the, I think I ripped one of them, but I finally stretched it enough to where I got the shirts off of my head. And I was totally alone in an entirely different part of the aisle that I was in. And so my stuff was kind of scattered across the bench and the floor from my acting normal. And I put my shirts back on, packed my bag back up, and I left. And I just, I just couldn't go back out there and kind of do my workout. Then I remembered I had to walk back through the place.
But, uh, but at any rate, so I just, I left, you know, and, you know, get home. Hey, how was your workout? Oh, it was good. Good workout. Got my shirts all the way off and all the way back on. Good day's work. And uh, I tell that story because it really serves as a, as, a, as a metaphor for a period of my life that uh, I, I felt like I just kind of wandered from a stuck place. I couldn't see who I was. I couldn't see where I was going. I was disoriented. I was fi- found myself winding up in places I never intended to go. And it was, um, it was just a wandering uh, uh, from a stuck place. And it was kind of what I would call an active lostness. Um, and it kept throwing these questions uh, up to me, like, who am I? Is it really actually possible to know deeply and truly who I, who I am, who I'm created to be? Uh, does, my la- does my life matter? Um, you know, uh, the, the questions like, gosh, I'm just wondering, is anybody ever wondering about me? You know? And ultimately, where am I headed? So it was an active lostness. And, um, you know, the, the, the hardest part of that is the longing, is the longing that, that life would be different, but the fear that it never would be. And the saddest part of it is how much time um, I spend and uh, spent and we spend sometimes um, trying to be people uh, that we're not. And so it's really more than lying to ourselves. At some point along the way, we actually lose ourselves. And that's what happened to me back in the day. And so there are some things that... um, I want us to understand today about who we each are. And that is that, that, um, that we are created pretty darn spectacularly. You know, even in those times where we feel stuck in some yesterday or afraid of some tomorrow, anxious, stressed, wondering if things are going to be different, we, we just have to we have to be reminded of who we are. And what I'd like to do this morning is start there. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna tell you some absolutely awesome things about yourself, okay? You have a unique destiny. And, um, but, but here's the sad part. There's a, there's a, a Mark Battison, a, a, an author of mine, has written this quote. Most of us live our lives entire lives as strangers to ourselves. We know more about others than we know about ourselves. Our true identities get buried beneath the mistakes we've made and the insecurities we've acquired, the lies we've believed, and we've been held captive by others' expectations. And here's the thing. We have this destiny that we've been created to live, and without knowing truly, with certainty, who and what we have been made by God. We run the risk of not touching that to the fullness that we can. 
So I want to start by reminding you of some things about yourself, okay? First of all, you are unlike anyone who has ever lived. You literally are unlike anyone who has ever lived. You, each of you, each of us, is a never-to-be-repeated-again creative expression of God's love. You are nothing less than that. But you know what? Your uniqueness isn't a virtue. It's a gift, and it's a responsibility to be lived out, to be embraced. And it's not to your credit. It's to God's credit. You didn't create it. He created it. And lastly, you owe it to him and you owe it to yourself to live that uniquely, that uniqueness, freely, authentically, and wholeheartedly. So living into that, living into our true uniqueness and identity, you need to know the truth about who you are and who we are. And here's what God says about all of us, that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do. So the word masterpiece always makes us think of art, doesn't it? And every piece of art begins in the imagination of the artist. You were conceived in the imagination of God. How cool is that? You were conceived by God before you were ever conceived by your parents. You know, it's interesting about the word planned is that the, uh, the Apostle Paul here is drawing from this Eastern custom where, where servants would go before a king to prepare the road ahead to ensure that he got to his destination. Well, Paul flips that scenario. And in this case, it's the king. It is Jesus who goes before us to prepare the road ahead to make sure that we arrive at our destination. That we arrive at the destination of understanding who we are, who we've been made, and what we've been made to do. And he goes first uh, to do that. So he's setting us up. He's setting us up strategically, who and what we are, to accomplish everything he has created us for us to do. He's setting us up, and it's a good thing. Um, so, over the next few weeks, the life of David kind of becomes our picture of this. And uh, we're going to encounter his life in this, in this story long before he ever became king. But at a time when he was, he was uh, a shepherd boy, kind of guarding his, uh, his, his father's flocks. It's the story of David and Goliath, ultimately, and it's pretty familiar to all of us. So, I'm just going to kind of briefly tell you the story, and then we'll pick it up in the scriptures in just a minute. But um, so, here's how it unfolded. Um, the, armis, the army of the Philistines came against Israel, and they marshaled their forces for war against God's people. And uh, so, in response, the armies of Israel came out and they both drew their battle lines on opposite hills, a valley in between them. 
It was a standoff. Nobody dared move. Because to attack would mean racing down into the valley and a suicidal ascent up the other side. So neither army moved. Finally, the Philistines had enough. They sent their most gallant, their greatest warrior, down into the valley. And he challenged the army of Israel to send one man and to settle this one-on-one, which was not an uncommon custom to avoid mass loss of life and bloodshed. Disputes were resolved this way. But Israel's army, including King Saul, they were petrified. Who could survive against a terrifying opponent like this? And so, for 40 days, the Bible says, Goliath came to the valley twice a day, taunted the army of God, taunted God, and gave this challenge. Choose a man, send him down here. If he kills me, we'll become subject to you. If I kill him, you become subject to us. And there was no movement until a young shepherd boy showed up and volunteered. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried it off, a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I grabbed it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So the sworn enemy of the, of the Israelites, battle-tested and dangerous, probably their youngest representative and least experienced was the one that had the boldness uh, to go after him. But David was adamant. He had, he had, he had encountered more ferocious uh, uh, opponents than this, but Saul had no other options, and this is great. He said, okay, go, the Lord be with you. And, uh, and so he ran down the hill uh, to meet Goliath. And um, you know what? I, I think that David knew his life was never going to be the same after this moment. It was a defining moment. His life was either going to end or it was going to begin in a way that it had never began. And so uh, his close encounters with these animals were his defining moments. And you know, he saw this theme in his life, and he responded to this moment because he had understood who God had made him, what he had made him, and what had brought him to this moment. And here's the big idea we want to communicate today, is that 
all of us have uh, lived our lives, but um, most people uh, have experienced their story. Let's go ahead and throw that up. Yeah. Uh, most people have experienced their story, but few have interpreted their story. And uh, even fewer can articulate their story in a way that helps them find their place in what God is doing um, on the earth. So David um, had come from a long line. You know, in his generational history, there were stories of deliverance. This theme of deliverance ran deep in his family lineage. And so, was it any wonder that when he was making a case for why he could go fight this giant, the theme of deliverance came up? These were near-death experiences that he had encountered with these animals, and let me show you what he learned. Um, here's what David learned. That the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Deliverance was all over his story. And he knew who God had been, God would be again. He knew who God had been in his, in his family's story would not just be uh, that in, with his ancestors, but with his descendants as well. And so when he ran down the hill to face that giant, he had a holy confidence. And he was... Um, he was uh, kind of embracing this moment as a sense uh, of destiny. I ran across this quote that I think is powerful, and I would really like for all of us to think about this in our own lives. Not a novelist by the name of Graham Greene wrote this, and he says this, There is always one moment in childhood when the door opens and lets the future in. Except I think this happens through our whole lives. There are experiences where the doors open and let the future in, and if we're paying attention, we can see them. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. But the door opens, the future comes in and give, gives us a glimpse of who we were made to be and maybe perhaps even what we were called to do in this life. And so, I don't know if you've had experiences like that um, growing up, but I want to tell you about a moment I had that the door opened and the future came in. And I began facing giants as I have never had to face giants before. So I invite you <clears throat> to think about your growing up years along with me as I tell you a story, one story from my growing up years. <clears throat> and just um, see if you have anything that resembles anything like this. But this was a moment in my life that would mark me forever. It would kind of leave a mark and leave a wound that I would have to wrestle through for decades. It was a giant that 
took me a long time to figure out how to wrestle to the ground. I just want to tell you the story. As we were going through the I am process, there was a moment where we chose the high points in our lives and the hard times. We identified 10 high points and 10 hard times out of all this brainstorming. And as I reflected on my life, I looked at these things and it was uncanny how God provided along the way, right before, right after these hard times. But there was one in particular that delivered a blow that I couldn't define literally until two weeks ago as I was working on this message. Here's the scene. It's one of three experiences that were similar. They all happened during my sophomore year. And before I share this story, I know that there are a lot of people that have experienced worse things. But, um, but you know what? Trauma is trauma, and it delivers a blow, and we have to learn to deal with it. So uh, I want to be sensitive to other people's stories out there. Uh, but here was the scene. I was a sophomore in high school. I was trying a whole bunch of stuff to get involved with because we had just relocated. And uh, I was, uh, you know, wanting to make friends, get involved with stuff and stuff like that. <clears throat> so I'd been in this choir, you know, the one that everybody gets to join just because they say they want to. And then when you transition to the next one, you have to audition. Um, so this was kind of a, a traumatic experience for me because I was absolutely scared to death. You had to stand up in front of everybody, probably 80 or 90 people. You had to sing a part from, you know, the guys sang the bass and the, the tenor part, the gals sang the alto and the soprano part. And then the choir director told you what you were and kind of found agreement with the group. So I tell you, I just, I, I dreaded this moment for, for weeks. And when it finally came, it came on the heels of two other encounters similar to this. But here, here's what happened. So I stood, I sang the parts. I'm sure I was just torquing sweat profusely. And so I sang the one part. I sang the other part. And, um, and then I just, I just stood there waiting to be told what I was and what section to go sit in, if in fact I had made this thing. So the room went silent, sang one part, sang the other. The room went silent, and uh, the, the man looked at me after I was just dying in a pile. So I finally broke the silence and said, well, tell me, uh, what am I? And he looked at me and he said, you know what? I don't think you're anything. Um, you're neither, and you're not either one. You're, you're just kind of nothing somewhere in the middle. And um, everyone began to laugh. And it was a terrifying moment. I was frozen. And I would be frozen in that stuck place 
for a long time. I was working through it years ago. I jotted some stuff down that I was thinking in my journal. And I want to just read this to you. I thought it was a joke. It wasn't. Embarrassed, stunned, in disbelief, soaked in shame, utterly alone in a group of 80 kids as the laughing continued. Just stood there, frozen, wondering if the passing of time would produce some goodness from this man or this moment. It didn't. He finally let me sit down. I believe looking back, I was seriously in shock. I had no close friends at that point. Ours was a home where only positive was spoken. Negative was a foreign and an unwelcome language. There was no place to hurt out loud. The stuckest of stuck places. You know, anytime there is trauma, there are two things. There is a wound and there is a lie. Having no place to process that, I just absorbed it. A couple of other experiences would add to those lies and expand them. And I kind of went through life believing the kind of stuff that can prevent you from seeing who God has created you to be. That I was nothing, that I really didn't matter, that I didn't count. That I was in between but not either and there probably wouldn't be a place for me. And you know what? That is paralyzing. When I counsel people in my office here today and they're in a stuck place like I have been in those stuck places, I just want to grab their face and I just want to tell them, do you, do you, you have no idea how beautiful you are. You have no idea how awesome you are. You have no idea how spectacularly unique your life is. But then that would be really weird, wouldn't it? And then I would be fired. But it's true. So a couple of weeks ago, I realized, because occasionally you, you always ask the question, why did that happen? What was that? What, you, know, you know, you just, you can't get all the way away from that. And I felt like God floated this little um, thought into my mind. The most important question is how I've used that. Not why did it happen. Not what got me to that place, but how have I used it? And so I thought back on my life, how I was just kind of thrust into the, uh, uh, this long run with, with Young Life, which is a, a ministry to high school kids. You know what? I didn't want kids to be afraid. I didn't want to be, I wanted to be alone. I, didn't, I wanted them to have a place to belong. That moved into this passion for families and, and uh, creating experiences for families because I wanted families to grow closer together and closer to God. I wanted them to be singularly, uniquely connected. And my interest in helping people understand who they are, what we've been talking about today in this I Am series, it just kind of defines me. 
I want people to know they don't have to be afraid. I want them to be connected. I want them to know who they are. And so if you're one of those people who wrestles in that area, I just kind of want to walk us through a little, um, little reflection exercise, okay? We're going to have the, the band come out, and we'll provide a little music for this uh, as we can flow into that. But I want you to just sit for a moment and think about, think about your life. And I'm wondering, are there some moments out there that continue to plague you? Are there moments that have had an impact on you that you just can't seem to shake? You know, for me, I pulled up short. I believed that I was a victim. God had more of that story to tell me. And y'all, it wasn't until three weeks ago when it all came into focus, how he has used it. I'm 68 years old. That just happened two or three weeks ago. I say that not to discourage you, but to let you know that God is not in a hurry when it comes to our hearts when it comes to our souls. He's building us for eternity. I want you to pick a moment in your life, and if it's a hard time, I want to just let you know that it'll probably be wrapped with some bad memories and maybe some pain. I want you to think about that moment. How has it defined you? How have you defined it? Has your interpretation of that gotten twisted a little bit? Is it possible that God has more to say to you about that? I just believe he really wants to come near. To touch you in a place where you need to be touched. I believe he wants you to know that he's real, that he loves you and he's for you, not against you. It's been said that we can only understand our lives backwards, but we must live them forwards. So as we reflect, reflection without action 
It's just another way of being stuck. But reflection with the decision to do something about it can create movement in your life. So I want to ask you about whatever moment you're thinking about. I want to ask you to do three things with that moment. First of all, I want to ask you to tell somebody. Tell someone who is safe. And then with that person or others, make a decision, brainstorm what to do with that. And then third, act. Take a step. Let that group form a safe community around you as you do that. We can help you here at Heartland. One aspect of our care team is built around the strategy that people who have attended well to these kind of moments in their lives are uniquely qualified to come alongside others who are wrestling with those same issues in a way that uniquely qualifies them to be there. Shepherds. Everybody needs a shepherd. Everybody is a shepherd. Well, Father, I just want to thank you and you know, whatever you have uh, done in our hearts today, God, would you just seal that? Would you help us move in a direction to do something about that thing that has been tripping us up forever? We don't want to be wandering in a, from a stuck place in active lostness. We want to know you and we want you to tell us who we are, that we might live all that you've created us to do and to be all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.